Hey, Plane Talkers, and welcome to episode 15. And this episode, we're going to be talking about an old trip that Matt and I did and the start of a new friendship, as well as a little bit on loss of control in flight and the base to final spin. So, check it out. Welcome back to the Plane Talk Podcast, everybody. This is Rob. I'm Matt. And we're here talking about a little bit of how we met. I mean, was it how we met? I think we met slightly before that. Okay, yeah, sure. You're right. We met before that. I picked you up <laughs> as a student at, uh, um, yeah, my at CFI Flyers. Yep, my CFI was uh, was going on to the airlines, and I was looking for somebody new to fly with, and you had availability, and I said, all right, I'll get on his schedule. Yep, why not? So and The first yep. time we went out and flew, uh, went well enough that you decided, hey, I want to go back, so <laughs> we, <laughs> we started doing things from there. I don't know. What happened first? Did you do, did you solo first? Did we, did we just start no. going on trips and stuff? Like, you had pulled up... You had pulled up that ad for uh, Mountain Home, which right. I, uh, or was it Mountain Home? Yeah. Well, yeah. So you, you actually soloed me. Uh, and when you and I started, I had just begun the landing phase of my training. I was probably at 25 hours, something like that. I, I was, you know, slow learner in the beginning. And um, and a slow learner I think, I think, at present. Yeah, <laughs> yep, definitely. Life gets in the way. Life gets Why in the are way. the lights off? I don't get it. I'm just doing this. Click. <laughs> All right, hold on. There we go. We're on, we're on Skype right now. I don't know why you wanted the lights off. It's creepy. Lights are on. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so we ended up flying together. And then uh, remember we were in Dowin for 2-9 at Hanscom. And you said, you want to land? And I said, uh, I have no idea what I'm doing, but sure. And uh, I had been on the yoke with my prior flight instructor dave a couple times on the controls but um never really tried to land the thing and uh, i remember giving you a lot of credit for i mean we were probably 20 30 feet agl and you were still kind of sitting there as if you thought i knew what i was doing and i was like I did yeah a quick glance over to you and said what is he smoking because <laughs> i'm literally not going to land this plane and and you you let me go till about the last minute and just help me a little bit. It's it, it's amazing what I, I don't even well remember. Trained. Well, I don't even remember touching the controls. I I may have said some things, but like you know, as I recall it, it was a little different. You had the airplane, and I just never even thought that I should take it. <laughs> I, I never well, even had that thought. Well, I'm pretty sure that was well. That was my first landing. I don't know if you know that. <laughs> oh, I know that because right after we landed, you're like, "That's the first time I've ever landed." <laughs> and I looked over you and was like, "What?" <laughs> it was I mean, just recall, yeah, so weird. If I recall correctly, I was way off center line because this was prior to me really understanding, you know, aileron into the wind and rudder to compensate. <laughs> so I'm pretty sure we had gotten blown <laughs> off to the right side of the runway. But luckily, Hanscom is what 150 foot wide runways, so. Um, yeah, you know, that, that lot, particular runway is yeah, 150 feet wide. Actually, they both are. Yeah, they're both 150 feet wide. It's been a while since I've been there now. How long has it been? Uh, when was it? Well, April. Is that when we closed? I think it was end of April. Um, I did my last flight there. And uh, I've done a couple months. couple touch and go since and uh, coming out of uh, instrument approaches and things like that. But, um, yeah, just... It, I haven't been, haven't had a reason to go back really. 
Um, so, so shortly after that, you and I, uh, got invited by my friend Pamela down to a house that she has in mountain air in North Carolina, which That's is it. about 30 minutes Northeast, Northeast of Asheville. Mm-hmm. And I was really excited about it. I was like, Oh man, it'd be great if we could actually go. And you were like, well, why don't we go? Yeah. And I said, okay. So we, we got the invite. We got the, uh, was it PP? What's the prior permission? Yeah. It's a prior permission. Yeah. PPR. PPR. Cause it's a the private PPR strip. And, yep. Private strip. Uh, it's I think it's the highest uh, on the East Coast, right? If I recall correctly. Yeah, it's the highest elevation uh, east of the Mississippi. East of the Mississippi, um, and so we made our plan. We were going to go Hanscom to uh, Asheville by way of Dulles, mind you, which was really exciting because you know this was still early in my training, and uh, to get the the chance to land at a Bravo was going to be really exciting to me, and. Um, you know, so it was an adventure, and and we we took off on on uh, I think it was uh, runway one one out of Hanscom, and uh, I believe departed IFR. Uh, oh and- yeah, we were we were going IFR because in order to get into the Washington D.C. SFRA, the Special Flight Rules Area, you need to have specific training online, which you can get at uh, FAA Safety Court or FAA Safety gov, and you just type in DC Special Flight Rules Area or DC SFRA, and you take this online course. Now, I had done this course way back when I was at Kent State University, um, but getting in there, I didn't really want to have I didn't want to have to deal with the procedure because you have to go through certain gates and you have to if you're going to certain airports you have to have a pin number and there's all these hoops you have to jump through but if you go there ifr you don't have to worry about any of this stuff you're already uh, under controlled flight and and atc knows exactly who you are so there's no there's no issues there and it's just super easy to get in there ifr so this was going to be really your first experience with flying in the clouds Yep, and and not only were we going to I sorry, not only were we going IFR for that reason, but we were also going IFR because of the weather in Boston. And I mean, mm-hmm. it cleared up a little bit as we as we came down, and as you'll learn later in the story, weather was what ended up diverting us to Washington Washington D.C. for the night. But uh, oh yeah, it trapped us there. Yeah, trapped us there. So I remember taking off of one one, and and I think we got up to about two or three thousand feet AGL, and all of a sudden I'm like, oh, uh, there's a cloud coming. Uh, Rob, there's a cloud. Uh, Rob, there's oh, 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 we're flying. And yeah, it. I know, man, I know we're flying in the clouds, and it was just exhilarating. It was an exhilarating experience, and I actually still have a video, not of the departure, but on a, on our way back of of going through mm-hmm. a cloud, which was awesome. Um, but yeah, it was it was overcast, and we came across, uh, we came out above the clouds, and and I think it was about five thousand foot ceilings at that point, and it was. Sorry, uh, the tops were at five thousand. Yep. It was yep. it was beautiful. It was beautiful. Yeah, the nice thing about going um, going that far on a uh, down to North Carolina is that you have to make a fuel stop, and so Dulles was right in the middle of everything, right in the middle of our route, and they have this awesome museum there called the Udvar Hazi Center as Stephen Udvar Hazi, and. It's a a wing or a branch of the Smithsonian, and it's all about airplanes, and it's amazing. The the collection there had a couple of my favorite airplanes, like the Pitt Special and the F-4 Phantom, and Matt, it had a couple of your favorites as well, some that Uh, really are only part-time airplanes. 
<laughs> well, so it had just received Space Shuttle Discovery, which I am actually – I was honored to have witnessed STS-133, STS-134, and STS-135, um, the final launches of each of the three remaining shuttles wow. from, the NASA, from the NASA Causeway, which was just a couple miles away from the launch pad. I'm pretty sure it's the closest you can get if you're not part of the media, and it's probably somewhat of the closest you can get uh, without it being somewhat dangerous. I mean, well, I think if- at some point you get too close and um, you're gonna, you know. But I remember, I mean, you feel the vibrations, even though you're you're many miles away. It's 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 like you're it's like you're half a mile away. Well, if we play uh, our cards right, Matt, we're kind of technically media. If we apply for the <laughs> right true. things, we could have access to you know launches and stuff. That would be yeah, I think that'd true. be cool. We we should try that. Yeah, we're you know no more space shuttles, unfortunately. But no, but like uh, SpaceX is doing great things. Launches. Yep. Yeah. Yep. That'd be yeah. pretty cool. So yeah, we're De- down at the. You know, depending on what happens with Elon Musk, but you know. Well, well yeah, he, the, the, that complex up. will still be in use. Right. <laughs> uh, so yeah. yeah, we're we're hanging out at the the Udvarhazi Center, and a couple times we were walking around. I think we were looking at the engine displays, and uh, you may have even mentioned, "Was that thunder?" And I went, "No, that was just a jet using reverse thrust or something." <laughs> And we didn't really have a good Wi-Fi signal at the time. This is 2015. Not that that really matters on Wi-Fi signal, but um, you know we're inside a, a, a big Faraday cage. Basically, it's a big metal hangar, and um, I think it was when we went outside, and I started looking at the clouds and went, "Oh no, those are towering cumulus." That we finally looked at the radar and got a got a decent picture and went, "Oh no, this is not good." And I was just coming off of off of a high because not only had we landed on runway one center where I believe we had a jet blue off to our right and a Delta off to our left. Uh, so just, we were kind of coming right in the middle of them. And as a student pilot, I don't think I had ever landed at a Charlie, let alone a Bravo, just experiencing that. Uh, they were somewhat faster than us, but uh, just, just coming in on that center runway was such an experience. And, and I, I have a video of the landing. Um, so, so maybe we can oh, post you do. It. Hmm. I do I have a video of the landing and I remember um, you telling me, you know, we've got a really long runway. So, I mean, that thing is like, what, 10,000, 11,000 feet. I'd have to look, but we had a really long runway. And so, you know, why don't you land more towards the center of it? Because otherwise we're going to have to we're going to land and we're going to have to taxi forever. Yeah. If there's traffic, if there's traffic behind us, might as well try to get as close as possible. Yeah. One and center is eleven thousand five hundred feet long. I mean, 11, that's, yeah, that's a big sucker. You could, yeah, you could take, get day current on that thing. And I, uh, <laughs> I mean, I remember that, uh, you know, you congratulated me for where I put that thing down and and. You know, I don't know if you know this, but I was just actually coming in really high and was going to land at that point on the runway, whether you wanted me to or not. Yeah. <laughs> so luckily, you know, if that was Hanscom, I would have been probably in the second half of the runway. But anyway, really good experience. Uh, and, and, you know, we've definitely got some stories about departing there, too. But yeah. part- well, the other reason that we landed long was because the FBO was all the way at the end of the runway. Right. Yep. It's all the way at the north yep. side of the field. Avoiding taxiing forever. Yeah. Um, but yeah, then seeing seeing Space Shuttle Discovery uh, about a year and a half, maybe it had been two years at that point after it had been set up there and I had witnessed the final launch. I'll tell you, I chased STS-133 uh, in Florida. I took, I took a look and I had gone to and from Florida seven times what? In, in, in a period of a year because they kept postponing the launch. Uh. And, you know, I had book tickets that I'm like, all right, I need to cancel these. I, well, I might as well go on the trip anyway. They just kept 
pushing and pushing and pushing the launch. And, and then, so finally, and my, my friends and I had gone down there and we were like, all right, let's, you know, we hope that this is the, this is the day that it's going to go. And I remember it was, uh, it was a, I think an early, early morning launch. Uh, so we basically pulled an all nighter and, uh, you know, I can say this now, but we uh, we had some some things in water bottles on the NASA Causeway that we probably shouldn't have had. But uh, it was it was a, it was a fun Adult night. beverages. It was a it was a fun night. Yeah. Um. And 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 that was an amazing amazing experience. And I've got pictures of the launch. Um. I took a picture. Uh, I don't think it was that trip. It might have been a later trip. But uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson was there, and I have a picture with him. Um. So great experience. And and it was so good to see the retired shuttle. Uh, up close inside of um, the Smithsonian at, at Dulles, and wow! Hmm. Well, that's really cool. Um, let's see what else was going on. Okay, so yeah, we were we stepped out of the museum. We hear thunder, see lightning, look at the radar. It's nasty red. All the way between where we are at, at Dulles down to North Carolina, uh, where we were going to, we were planning on spending the night in Asheville, and then we were going to, in the morning when the air was nice and cool and a little more dense, fly up to altitude to land at uh, at, at Mountain Air, and be, <laughs> the, because the the airport elevation there, what is it, something like uh, four thousand five hundred feet? So the performance of a Cessna one seventy two uh, at that altitude is is not all that good. And you have to there. There's videos that that need to be watched and that are kind of training in order to get into that airport safely and to talk about hey, you're going to be operating in mountainous terrain and when to make the decision to go around because your performance isn't going to be there and and watch out for for landing long and how you have to you have to land one direction and take off the other and all that. And uh, so. There had been a lot of planning that went into the preparation for this trip, and to see these thunderstorms pop up, it just put this big damper on all of it, and it almost felt like a, a disappointment and a failure that we weren't going to make it there. So, luckily, you were a rewards member. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so when we were in D.C. and realized that we were going to be delayed, we were looking for hotels, and I was like, well, you know what? I have this um, this black level status at the Omni hotels uh, and they have three statuses and I'm not big on statuses. I've got JetBlue and I've got Omni and I'm, I'm really thankful for both of them because it does save you some money. Um, and so I, I called the hotel and um, this woman answered. Her name was Tia. And, she, and I said, Hey, I know it's 10 o'clock at night, uh, but we really need a place to stay tonight. Do you have anything? And, and she's like, Oh yeah. She's like, come on by. We'll take care of you. Come on over. Uh, I love the Titanic. If you have anything about the Titanic with you, bring that too. Um, she, Tia is a really big Titanic fan. I'm not sure if she mentioned that on the first call, but definitely by the second. And so we, we showed up at the hotel and, and she, she brought us to a room and, and it was a really nice room. She really took good care of us. Uh, and, and we became friends with Tia and, you know, we told her the story. We told her about how we were supposed to be flying to Asheville and we were going to try to get out, out, you know, out of Dulles the next morning, but we weren't sure. Um, and you know, we told her about our, our takeoff out of Boston and just how excited I was and our trip to the Smithsonian. And, you know, if you recall, Rob, we actually went to the Smithsonian downtown as well. We didn't just go to the one out by Dulles. We went oh, no, Dulles. yeah. When we were stuck, when we realized that we weren't going to make it out of uh, um, out of Udvar-Hazy, uh, that 
you know, we're like, well, let's go into downtown and let's see what's going on. And we went to, yeah, the Air and Space Museum was, I think it was our first stop, because why not? Uh, <laughs> we were walking around there, <laughs> and that's, it was a little bit after that that we realized, hey, we're, we're definitely stuck. So, yeah, then we started working on it. So, meeting Tia was really cool. And then the next morning, we wake up, look at the weather, and go, no, we're not getting out today nope, either. It's just, it, it storms all the way down again. You don't fly Cessna 172s and this stuff. So, all right, let's figure out what's going on with, with this hotel. And, you know, let's figure out, let's Google, hey, maybe this place is haunted. It, it feels really old. <laughs> yep. Maybe the place is haunted. So do a quick Googling, and it's, oh, yeah, Omni Shoreham, Washington, D.C., it's haunted. It's got a ghost suite. Wait a minute, what is this? Hey, Tia, what Where the heck's this? going on with this ghost suite? And she unfortunately informed us, hey, you can't stay in that suite. <laughs> so we were only supposed <laughs> but, to be there one night. Now we're stuck for but, two, but we couldn't But she did give us a tour. Yes. She gave us a tour, which was awesome, and it's uh, it's it's one of their largest rooms. They've it's got like dining room, kitchen. It's it's it's, it's got a sitting way, room. Way too, way too big yeah. for two people. Yeah. Oh yeah, two bedrooms. Uh, what else? I believe it had a, a fireplace, maybe two. I don't know. The place was huge. Yeah, and that woman that was in there with Tia, the one that was just kind of standing in the corner, minding her own business, and kept fading in and out. Yeah. Um, okay. She was nice. <laughs> <laughs> You know there are people that there are people that say they they see the ghost, but uh, if you want to read the ghost story, I highly recommend it. The Omni Shoreham Hotel. If you Google it, uh, they've got a couple of ghost stories up there. But apparently, it was many many years ago that a uh, that the the area of the hotel that was occupied, um, a the daughter and I guess a maid also both of them perished within a couple rooms of each other. And so that whole wing is supposedly haunted. Uh, yeah, I it, was, stayed, it was a family that that had right, the wing. That they, yep. was, they were using it as their, their house, which, yep. I mean, how much money does it take to, what is it, an eight-story or ten-story hotel? <laughs> yeah, it's the eighth, eighth floor on the top, yep. Oh, boy. So, yeah, an eight-story hotel, and they have the entire w- wing to themselves as their, <laughs> as, their, as their domicile, I guess. Yep. And then you yeah, recently so- stayed there. Well, I try to go there all the time now because you and I, uh, after that trip, we became friends with Tia. We stayed in contact with her. And, uh, you know, we went down uh, later that year for New Year's Eve, uh, mm-hmm. which was also really fun. And then we went, uh, I've gone a few times since. I try to go at least once a year, maybe two. I've, I've traveled down there for some work. Uh, and, and as recently as a couple months ago, my girlfriend and I went down there for, for a weekend and Tia gave us the bridal suite, which was very nice. Ooh. But yeah, well, so, well so we're Tia, talking Tia's... a lot about Tia here. So I have some audio. We made a call <laughs> awesome. to Tia a little while ago. So let's play that here. So Tia, when are you going to yeah, come flying? When am I going to come flying? I don't know. When are you guys going to come pick me up? Oh, we got to go back down. <laughs> All I need is a reason to go down. Yeah, we'll yeah. do DC trip. That sounds good. <laughs> we that haven't been good. to DC in a while. Yeah, you'll have to do aerobatics with Rob. It's pretty fun, especially oh for your first time. Aerobatics, okay, as long as I'm not the girl on YouTube that's throwing up, then I'm totally cool with it. No, because that means I also have to clean up uh, after you, and I don't want to do that. That's my main motivation and not allowing anyone to puke in my airplane ever. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm supremely motivated. No, I don't think I would. No, you'd be fine. You'd be fine. All right. Well, that's... That's our fun time. I mean, that was uh, it was good to talk with Tia there, and um, I think I even have audio of from your second stay. Tia, do you remember when I put um, oh, saran no. wrap on Rob's toilet? 
I yes, think I that hope. Tia was involved with that. <laughs> you can claim innocence, I but I, I don't think, yeah. There, I do have a, I have a video on YouTube. We of, yeah, we got to post yeah, that. I have a video on YouTube of, of that experience. It's it's not exactly G-rated, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. There was not a mess I made, at least. I think you should post it. Yeah, we'll do that. All right. Our listeners will that have something to look forward to. That was wonderful, though. That was New Year's Eve. I remember yes. that. Yes, yeah, it, it was. New Year's yeah. Eve. You guys came by. And then you got the presidential suite. Matt got the smaller suite. And we were trying to be all sneaky. And I (laughs) borrowed it from food and beverage. And they thought I was crazy. (laughs) They're like, what are you doing? I'm like, don't ask questions. (laughs) (laughs) I remember walking into the bathroom. And I really had to go. And I, you know, lift the toilet seat. And I look and I go, oh, oh, what? Oh, well, that's. That's funny. Hold on, I got to get my phone. Biological needs can wait here. <laughs> I need to. I need to film something because I always have a knife in my pocket. So walk in there and uh, the videos. Yeah, on pretty YouTube. sure you had to hide that somewhere before we went into a museum in DC. Yeah. Uh, I, uh, yeah, because I always have it on me, and I wasn't planning on going into, into any museums that that day necessarily. Uh, I had to bury it in the mulch outside in the uh, in the landscaping, <laughs> so nobody would find it. Yeah, not not my finest moments, but still, <sighs> it was a good knife. I wanted to keep the knife. Yeah, yeah. Hey, listen, anybody who's going into any museums, federal museums, they have me- uh, metal detectors. Don't take your knife or Don't any other objects. Yeah. Yep. Uh, so it's just kind of it's just kind of interesting that we. You know, we were planning to go all the way down to North Carolina. We got stopped by weather. We we landed in in DC, and it ended up being a great two day adventure. We like we went to the museum, saw Discovery, went downtown the Smithsonian. We got to meet Tia. We got to stay in like these really awesome hotel rooms and hear ghost stories. And you know, I, it was it was still such a great trip, even though we never made it down to Asheville. It was it was an absolute amazing experience. And yeah, you know, landing at that at that Bravo and and then also just seeing Discovery is probably the highlight of the trip. I don't know if Asheville could have beat that to be honest with you. It's really no, awesome. Probably not and and it was uh we got to go see some awesome like Madam's Oregon. We saw a lot of great yep, downtown yep. nightlife. Madam's Oregon had three different bands playing at the at, on three different floors of the of uh of the venue or the, of the place and um we started out downstairs drinking, moved to the middle floor drinking, then we're up on the roof on a roof <laughs> bar. Um Checking, checking our watches, to, you know, 12 hours? 12 yeah, 12 hours. hours. Yeah. yeah, 12 hours, Bothell. Uh, because we had to blast off early in the morning. We needed to get back to needed to get back to Boston. Our our little mini vacation was over, but I wouldn't call Didn't it a Didn't you get a, a massage? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, of course I got a massage. The, uh, the we got hotel a, we offered got a, massages. We got a couple's massage, didn't we? No, 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 no. <laughs> Yours kidding, was separate. Saying. You got a massage. I got a massage. Yours was separate and after mine, so the time frame, there was no overlap. <laughs> there was no overlap. <laughs> yeah, just trying to make sure it was a couple of years ago. But um you know, it I'm I wanna say that the the picture that is in our logo was mm-hmm. taken on that trip as well. If you yep. you know, the selfie that, that you know, when you when we first launched the podcast and you made that logo, it's that picture was taken down in D C too on that first trip. Yeah, and um it was at a bar in Georgetown. Were we in Georgetown at the time? Uh, I don't think so. I think we were actually pretty close to the mall. Oh, yeah. Uh, Yeah. And then we walked all the way down to Adams, Oregon area. That that has a name, doesn't it? Adams, Morgan. Adams, Morgan. Adams, Oregon is in Adams, Morgan. Oh, 
Okay. <laughs> that clears that up. That clears Not confusing that up. at all. You know, there was when alcohol I went down involved. There, when That's I went my down only there, excuse. When I went down there for New Year's, uh, I think the following year, um, I went into Madams, Oregon, and uh, I was like, you know, it's not the same without Rob. You know, it's just, it, 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 maybe it was just New Year's Eve. Maybe it was just New Year's Eve. But I, you know, my friend and I actually ended up uh, in Dupont Circle, which is also an awesome, awesome yeah. area of DC. Fun um, place to hang out. So if you're flying, if you're if you're anywhere, let's say south of Maine or north of South Carolina, Washington D.C. or and east of. Uh, uh, east of Indiana, Washington D.C. is one tank of gas and you know Cessna 172 away, and it's not impossible to get into. We went into Dulles. You can also very easily go into Manassas, but both airports are in the SFRA. So if you want to go in their VFR, get on FAAsafety.gov and do the DC Special Flight Rules Area training. It's not that hard to do. You'll have to create a login on FAAsafety.gov, but you take the course, and then you know exactly what you have to do to get into the SFRA. And if you're instrument rated, it is not a big deal to get into Dulles or to get into Manassas, either one of these airports, and then it's a 45-minute to an hour Uber ride downtown, or you can take the train, which will take about an hour or so, um, but there's you know the fantastic Stephen Udvar-Hazy Center at Dulles, and then all the other beautiful, wonderful things to see around Washington, D.C. It's a wonderful, wonderful town, one of my favorites in the country. And Rob, while we're on that topic, uh, any advice on people going into national? Going to, going to national, do it on an airliner. Yeah, yeah. That's how you get into Reagan. Yeah, um, yeah I wouldn't. I wouldn't go in there in anything else. Um, they don't have any hundred low lead, so that I've already confirmed. Um, okay. But yeah, I, I I would go into Dulles or I would go into Manassas. That's K I A D India Alpha Delta or Hotel Echo Foxtrot for Manassas. Mm-hmm. Two great airports. Let's talk about the departure. So when we left the FBO at Dulles after two days of awesome experiences at the Omni and in D.C., uh, we were taxiing out to, I believe it was One Center again. I could be wrong. No, One uh, Center. It might have been one, right, one Center to depart. And uh, the be- maybe the second best experience of the trip was when the ground controller oh, asked... No, they didn't give us One Center. They gave us that other uh, crossing runway. Was uh, it- Oh, you're right, 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 right. It's uh, 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 one, two, three, zero. They they took us off three zero. Right, right, right. And we were taxing out there, and and the best experience ever was when they asked a heavy to hold short for the passing Cessna one seven two. Do you remember that? <laughs> yes, I it do. It was like a. It was like a. I don't know if it was Air China or something. It was. It was. Um, but they they were. They were gigantic, and we just crossed right in front of them. I wish I had like a, a video of the expression oh, yeah. on, <laughs> on their faces when they saw this little one seven two just kind of cross in front of them. They probably said, "Oh, that's cute." <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> like, or they, or they were running their normal pre flight checks, heard the radio call, yeah. looked up, and went, "What are they doing here?" <laughs> I think they would have been looking down at that point. Very. Far <laughs> yeah, down. That's true. Yeah, <laughs> if they would have seen us over the nose. So yeah, Depart- they, uh, awesome, awesome time. Yep. Departed IFR, uh, got got another opportunity to go in and out of clouds, which was even cooler, mm-hmm. just passing through them. That was that was a great experience. And and on our way back, we um, we went, we flew over my parents' house. We flew over your parents' house. And then shortly after that, we figured out 
that we could record video and sing along <laughs> yep. to audio that was playing through the intercom uh, yep. in the airplane. And that's where a couple of pilot sing videos came from. One of them is our promo uh, promo that we made now, uh, to just a couple couple weeks ago or a month ago or so. So yep. check that out on Instagram, uh, pilot sing. Two pilots, two pilots singing to Broadway tunes. It's 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 pretty interesting. If you haven't had a chance to catch it yet, check it out. <laughs> um, right. I actually realized there's a lot of things that happened to you know for us to get this podcast going in that weekend. You know, three four years ago. Yeah. No, we wouldn't. Uh, we wouldn't be here if it wasn't for Tia being totally awesome. Yeah, we wouldn't be here if it wasn't for that weekend. It's awesome. We have our our logo picture. We've got our pilot sing videos. You and I. Mm-hmm learned that we can stand each other yeah which is good i'll take it (laughs) yeah so anyway yeah great great experience looking forward to getting down to mountain air at some point in the future i think that invite is always open Uh, i don't know if they still do their pilots weekends but also uh check out mountain air online uh really interesting you know four thousand five hundred feet agl and um sorry four thousand five hundred feet msl and uh east of the mississippi tallest uh, highest airport elevation, which is um, pretty interesting stuff. So, mm-hmm. all right. So I'm looking at our at our uh, our Trello here, and you have something written Me there too. that I'm not sure of. O2M positive exchange of control. What, what is this? What do you think it is? I have no clue. <laughs> so I wanted to talk about the importance of positive exchange of control, and this is something that you have taught me numerous, numerous times. Uh, and in fact, it's my biggest mistake is me saying you have the controls and you saying you have the controls and me going, hmm. And you saying, no, you have to say it again. You have to say it back to me. That is the positive exchange of controls. And so, you know, I have it ingrained in my mind now. Like if there are not, if that, if those words are not said three separate times, you know, somebody's getting in trouble. Yeah. So, no, ex- no exchanges happened. Let's clarify <laughs> who's flying this airplane. Right. So uh, I launched a company about a year ago called O2M. Uh, it's a software company that uh, I basically uh, built with two of my buddies that are involved in the fitness industry. And we built this piece of software that processes late cancel and no-show charges for customers of MindBody. Shameless plug. And, you know... We our our onboarding process right now is still a little bit manual. We we go in there, we set customers up. Um, once they're up and running, everything's fine. But you know, just that beginning process is still a little bit handheld. And we have a situation where when we set a customer up, we are setting them up to essentially be inactive. In other words, they start receiving reports every morning. This is what's going to happen, but it's fake. In other words, we are not actually processing any of these late cancel no-show charges until they email us and say, okay, I'm ready for damage to be done. Because the worst case scenario is we don't want to charge 100 or 200 of their customers one day and have their customers email them and say, wait a minute, where do these charges come from? We want, we want to give them time to warn their customers. We want to give them time to um, you know, work out any kinks, make sure they like the service, et cetera, et cetera. And one thing that I have noticed is one of our biggest frustrations is that our customers don't necessarily know this. So even though we tell them ahead of time, you know, we still get emails a week later being like, Hey, it's been six days and I just ran my sales report and I noticed that your service hasn't processed any charges. And I go back six days and I forward them an email and I say, well, here's where I sent you an email saying that this is just going to be 
you know, testing only. We're not actually going to process any of these charges. Oh, I, I missed that email. I didn't read it, et cetera, uh. et cetera. So then what I started doing is I started emailing people and saying, when you are ready to enable charges, please enable, you know, let us know. Yeah. And so, and so they started replying to that and saying, okay. Just and okay? So well, somebody replied and said, okay. So I thought okay meant you will let us know. But you know when you're ready. But instead, okay meant please enable the charges. Mm, and so unclear, yes. Yeah, unclear. So so what I had to do is I created a form. It's like a Google Doc, and I send that to them, and I say you need to fill this form out when you are ready for us to enable charges. Yes. And then when I receive that form, I reply to them and say confirmed. And so I'm like. This is the only way that we can make this work is for me to send them a form, they fill out the form, and then I reply and say, okay, positive exchange of controls, positive communication, right? Like it's, yeah. it is, it is absolutely certain that I know their intention and they know mine. Yeah. And I really never realized how this could affect aviation until I started onboarding these customers and realizing that this confusion was happening 50% of the time. No matter how many times I told our customers, like, we're not going to enable charges till you let us know. And no matter how many times they said, okay, 50% of the time, one person was always expecting that the other person understood what was going on. Yep. Nope. And so, and so that's that story. So, so if this is happening in software and I had to go out of my way to make this form, which by the way, has resolved all issues. Yes. Uh, it just it just goes to show you how important positive exchange of control is in aviation. It's pretty amazing how there are a lot of things in aviation that have carried over into other industries. Uh, my mother was a nurse anesthetist before she retired, and I wanted to find out more about her job and what she did and just went into it. I asked for like a shadowing in the operating room. And so when I went in there and, and got to see their entire processes, they do a lot with checklists to make sure that they, uh, they get the right tools out, that they're operating on the right patient, that if they're working yep. on a limb, that they work on the correct limb, they write it on the board, they confirm this is the left arm, left arm, the other person is say left arm. And you know, they, they really double check, just like you're talking about, they use checklists, all these things to prevent any kind of accidents, malpractice, any, anything like that. So yeah, there's a lot of things in, in other industries that have taken from aviation. Cool. Yeah, and I happen to have a surgeon in the next room, and she has told me numerous times that, uh, she, you know, that's exactly what's going on. That they've got, they've they've got triple checks, quadruple checks. It's mm -hmm. it's crazy. Yeah. Hi, Sarah. She can't hear me. I know that. Rob says hi. <laughs> she says hi, Rob. All right. So that leads us to uh, one of our final topics for today. I don't know that it necessarily is a lead-in at all, but if you're liking, if you're so liking speaking you're, of so speaking okay. of all of this, let's talk about stall spin awareness. <laughs> yeah, there is no segue that I have for right now. But if you've enjoyed what you've heard so far on this podcast, and you're considering any kind of sponsorships, or you have too much money burning a hole in your pocket, and you want to help us increase our production values so that Matt can uh, consistently make his way all the way up to the man cave studios and not have to sit at home <laughs> in his kitchen. Uh, hey, send us, a, send hey, us an email. The cars are expensive. That's true. Podcast at plaintalkpodcast.com if you're uh, interested in any kind of sponsorship opportunities. All right. So one of the things that I'm passionate about is loss of control in flight. And, well, not passionate about it, but passionate in correcting it and making aviation as safe as possible. But one of the big risk elements that I see is talking about the base to final spin 
And just this past week, I was having a conversation with one of my commercial pilot candidates, and he wanted to, uh, we, we went flying on a very, very windy day, and it was a crosswind out of the left side of the runway, uh, not too bad, about the max demonstrated component for the Cessna 172 that we were in, but nothing that he shouldn't be able to handle. But... In doing left traffic to this runway, that left crosswind now sets up the most dangerous condition you can have in the traffic pattern. Matt, do you have any idea what the most dangerous condition you can have in the traffic pattern is? Uh, I guess an overshoot on base, base to final. Overshoot base to final, but what mother nature, what weather phenomenon may help cause that? Overshoot. Uh, I, I guess a significant tailwind on base. Any tailwind on base. Yeah. So not just significant, but any. Because what's happening there is your ground speed is increasing on a leg of the pattern where you're not really used to it doing that. And there's, uh, if you're not used to that, you don't anticipate, so you don't compensate by continuing the turn or not turning and maintaining a steep bank angle further into the turn than you're used to. So I mentioned to the student before we took off, hey, just so you know, this is going to be the most dangerous flight condition that you could experience. And he didn't quite know what I was talking about. So I explained it a little bit and he went, okay. So we went up into this armed with the knowledge, armed with the information that, hey, this is a possibility. This may happen. So when we get up there and we actually start flying it and he turns to the base, he's doing this uh, roll into 30 degrees, roll out a little bit, try and take a peek through the wing, roll back in, roll back out, roll back in, roll back out. And this is something that kind of irks me a little bit because why are you stopping the turn partway through? Just keep turning. That runway is going to show up in front of you if you just keep on going, if you hold the bank angle. And you can't see through the wing, so don't look out the left window anyway. There's nothing to see there. Everything you need is out front. But we do this first lap around the pattern, and he's doing the, the, the peak and roll, peak and roll. And sure enough, we finally get around to the final, and we are way blown through the final. So I say to the student, okay, what is this? And he's going, what are you talking about? What condition are we currently in right now? He goes, we're on final. I go, yeah, but what side of the final are we on right now? Uh, the right side? Okay, so what is this? Uh, it's an overshoot. What do we do whenever we overshoot? Uh, we correct back? I go, no, we go around. This is an automatic, no questions asked, no hesitation, full throttle, pitch for VY, flaps up, you know, incrementally do whatever you need to do for your type of airplane, but, but get out of there, execute that go around, because you have screwed something up. You have screwed something up that can hurt you. And so, hey, let's get out of this situation. Let's roll wings level, add the power, get the climb going, clean it up, and we'll come back around. We'll try it again. We'll make a change next time. And the next time we came around the pattern, he held the bank angle. He didn't do the peak and roll or the roll and peak. And he came around, and we were actually finished the turn with a good wind corrector way early with the runway in sight in front of us, and then we made a nice gentle turn to the final and, and kept turning beyond the, the, the pattern, the, the, the upwind leg, to set up that crosswind to get the airplane tracking down the center line, and it was just fine. We did eight landings, and he never overshot again because he just kept the bank angle. He just kept the turn coming. Now, how does 
a pilot in an overshoot find themselves in a situation where they are telling the airplane to spin. Well, with the base to final overshoot, the pilot, upon detection of the overshoot, they kind of have two thoughts. Number one, I'm not supposed to do this. I'm not supposed to overshoot the runway. Now, I'm going to define overshooting as the inside wing going beyond the asphalt on the opposite side of the runway. So that is your overshoot. If you line up on the right side of the runway, that's not a big deal. But if you have your wing and it's gone beyond the asphalt, that's the overshoot. Go around. No questions asked. But the pilots see the situation developing where the aircraft is overshooting, and they don't want that to happen. They look at their bank angle, and they go, well, I'm at 30 degrees of bank angle. My flight instructor said I can't go beyond 30 degrees in the traffic pattern. And I just want to point out that's a recommendation, and it's a good one. It's a good one. If you ever need more do it, but be careful. So they see that, oh, I can't get any more bank angle. I'll just add in some more inside rudder. I'll just step on the rudder to get the nose around. Oh, this is a bad idea because this uncoordinates the aircraft. It points the rudder at the ground, which points the nose at the ground. But not only does the aircraft yaw, it also rolls. It's called a coupling, a yaw roll coupling. And so that takes the aircraft beyond the 30 degrees of bank. The student or the pilot sees this and they go, oh no, I'm not allowed beyond 30. And they put in some opposite aileron. And now they're deeply cross-controlled on the airplane. But not only did the rudder input cause a rolling motion, it also caused the nose to point a little bit more towards the ground. And students and pilots aren't really happy when the nose is pointed at the ground. So they think, oh, I need to pick that nose up. And they pull back on the yoke. So they've got left rudder, right aileron, and they're pulling back on the yoke, which is increasing the angle of attack. And these are the exact control inputs for an accelerated spin entry. Now, typically on the base to final turn, the aircraft is between five and 600 feet. And in my many years of testing and flying and doing these maneuvers way up at altitude, my record for least altitude loss during an immediate recovery from an intentional entry of a base to final overshoot or a skidding entry into the accelerated spin, my record is 400 feet of altitude loss. That is me intentionally entering, immediately applying corrective inputs up to include full control deflections to get the fastest recovery that I can, and it still took 400 feet. Now, a student or a pilot at whatever level of, of, of certification that they have is not going to experience this event for the first time, especially knowing it's coming and react immediately and properly. They are going to be very surprised, very surprised by the sudden entry into an, a flight attitude that is quickly going beyond 90 degrees of bank uh, as it approaches inverted flight. Now, in my recovery, we got all the way to 90 degrees of bank. We got all the way to knife edge. Now, this was in a decathlon with parachutes on. This was not in a Cessna 172. But still... A, stu a, a normal pilot is not ready for this, and the reaction time is very, very slow. So even if it goes through about one rotation, you're going to lose six to 800 feet in that first rotation. You might be upright before you hit the ground. 
And it's all because the aircraft got a little bit beyond the center line, and the thought process was, I need to correct back instead of go around. It fixes a lot of things. Now, where did the student pilot go wrong, or where did this pilot go wrong? Number one, they didn't compensate for a weather condition. They didn't anticipate that the tailwind on base was going to blow them through this, so they don't continue to hold that even 30 degrees of bank angle was going to be adequate or on the downwind leg they weren't correcting into the wind so the downwind got blown closer to the runway requiring an even tighter turn a tighter radius so now they're close they're set up for the overshoot they get the tailwind on base and they find themselves in a bad position and they're trying to hustle the airplane around and they unknowingly put in the control inputs for an accelerated spin entry And the airplane doesn't know any better. The airplane doesn't know the pilot doesn't want this to happen. The the, the airplane doesn't know how far it is off the ground. It doesn't know how how little room it has. It just knows that it has a bunch of yaw and a bunch of angle of attack. And those two together are stall plus yaw equals spin. And that's what the aircraft does. So keep practicing your wind correction. Keep practicing those straight, uh, those uh, rectangular cores. Keep practicing turns about a point. S turns along the road. Keep practicing some of those basic skills from your private pilot days. And try to make that constant radius. Try to compensate for that wind. And that will help keep that wind in your head as the pilot in order to compensate for it, to not find yourself in a bad position. But if you ever, if you ever as a pilot, find yourself with the yoke getting really far back, and you're in a position where you don't want to be stalled, you need to relax that back pressure, roll wings level, add the power, and go around. And you can do that from 3,000 feet. A go-around doesn't have to be close to the ground. I mean, all your stall recoveries, they're just go-arounds. But the base to final overshoot is one that's still hurting pilots to this day. So, if you detect that on the day that you're going flying, or the airport you're flying to, that there's going to be a tailwind on the base, hey, keep that in mind. Avoid it if you can. If you have the option to take off from a runway where the crosswind is exactly 90 degrees across, and you can use either runway, take off on the runway that's going to give you the headwind on the base, not the tailwind. And if you're ever in a condition like it uh, up at Wiscasset, Maine, where you have left traffic and right traffic for the other runways, and you always have a tailwind on the base... Keep that bank angle. Keep it. The one you start with on the downwind of the base, 30 degrees, roll that sucker in and hold it until you get that runway in sight in the windscreen. Don't go trying to look through the side window. That's not where the aircraft is going. Look through the front. Put that runway right in front of you. And maybe consider using idle power instead of 1,500 or 1,200 because that tailwind on the base also isn't allowing you to lose altitude. It's, it's shortening the time that you're in the air. So you need to lengthen that time and, or you need to get a greater descent rate for that shorter amount of time. So less power, keep the bank angle, and keep on turn until you see that runway in front of you. So, Rob, you have ingrained this in my head in our lessons. Uh, never point the rudder at the ground. So... Obviously, there are times when you want to point the rudder at the ground, especially in situations like aerobatics. But if people want to remember that in the back of their mind, when can they apply it? Can they apply it at any time in the pattern unless they're doing a coordinated turn or? 
Okay, so yeah, you, you brought up a great point. Never, ever point the rudder at the ground for anything more than coordination. If you are going to slip an airplane, say you're uh, turning base to final and you realize I'm high and you've already got the power out and you've already got your flaps configured and everything, or even if your flaps aren't configured yet, like all the way down, uh, and you decide, hey, I want to slip now, look at where the ground is and don't step on it. So never, ever point the rudder at the ground. So slip to the outside. Rudder goes opposite the direction to turn. The nose goes to the high side. And now you're running into a slip, which is designed to lose you altitude. Slips don't control airspeed. They control altitude. The amount of rudder you apply is going to dictate your rate of descent. Ailerons are then used to maintain center line, compensating for wind. And then pitch is going to control your airspeed. Now, Understand your aircraft's construction and where your static port is located and whether or not it's getting ram air or whether it's getting a vacuum because it's exposed to uh, either uh, either the relative wind or it's on the uh, other side of the cowling from the relative wind. In the Cessna 172, where the static port is on the left side of the cowling, a right rudder slip will result in lower airspeed indications by about 5 knots, and a left rudder slip will result in higher airspeed indications by about 5 knots. So kind of calibrate your, your eye to that. Uh, and you could even kind of pull the, uh, the alternate static valve if you, if you have one available to you to get a little more accurate. But um, uh, I just do the, uh, the eyeballing of, hey, I know I'm going to be 5 knots plus or minus on, on this based on which foot I have down. And there are some airplanes that have static ports on both sides. You don't have to worry about compensation at that uh, at that point. All right. We need to wrap up. That's awesome information. We've got time for one online question today. Let's do it. Um, it's a little bit of a sensitive issue because it's recent, but uh, it's been asked multiple times, so we should answer it. Uh, how okay. was the gentleman in Seattle able to, I mean... I mean, steal the airplane, we generally know because, you know, there weren't any keys and he he had had taxi experience in the past. But how was he able to, one, take off and two, actually perform successful, if you want to call them successful, aerobatics maneuvers? What? Well, <laughs> it's skin it's of his teeth. Question. Um, yeah. You know, where does that come from? Where does that, where does that experience come from? And was it luck or was it skill? Uh, mix of both. Flight sim and a whole lot of luck. Um, I mean, a whole lot of things had to go really wrong to go so right in his case. He did take off from a controlled field, um, and I, I've seen the video of, of his flying, um, and I saw things out of what he was doing that I typically see of someone on a first aerobatic flight. When they get a cockpit full of ground, they do the panic pull, and they start to bring the stick back way earlier than they should have. Um, so his his barrel roll was technically a, a barrel roll uh, with a highly exaggerated barrel at the, the, the bottom end because he was starting to panic and, and starting to pull because he got a windscreen full of ground. Um and that also introduces an, an asymmetrical rolling G. Uh, I don't necessarily want to talk about how to do that right on the podcast, but in um, but hey, if you ever want to come and do some aerobatics, we'll, we'll certainly do that. Um, however, I'm I'm deeply saddened that an individual felt like he had no way out, had no other option, had no one to turn to, had had no other choice but to to go out and end his life, and. Um, it's a darn shame that he that he did it in an airplane, and if you know anybody who is 
troubled or having issues or, or needs help, please offer them help. And if you think that they are a danger, there are resources to get them help so that they don't hurt themselves, so that they don't hurt someone else. And, um, you know, hopefully we can keep those people around because this, whatever they're going through, it is temporary. It is absolutely temporary, but the ending of your life is permanent and everybody is worth more than that. Um, so I, I, I hope that we can kind of look at this and go, man, that was a heck of a way to go out. Um, but take it as an example of, of what not to do. All right. Well, that's episode 15. Um, Rob, take us home. Okay. Well, everybody, thanks for joining us. Man, that was a downer. We ended on such a downer. That's okay. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was well-spoken. I, I felt like I didn't even have to say anything. It's just... Okay. <laughs> well, jeez. Uh, um, by golly. Uh, I suppose let's, uh, let's say a positive thing. Um, International Aerobatics Club is a branch of the Experimental Aircraft uh, Association. EAA and IAC go hand-in-hand. Hand. Uh, they, they're a great organization. If you have a chance, get on the website. Join up. It's a, it's a cheap membership. You get uh, two free magazine subscriptions by joining both. And... Um, it's uh, they have a list of all the contests that happen around the country. If you're interested in going and watching some aerobatics um, without having to pay any kind of admission fee or anything like that, uh, you get a list of some of the local contests around your area. And aerobatics are always a lot of fun. Everybody can enjoy those. And, and uh, yeah, it's a good, good family fun stuff. If you like the podcast, tell your friends. If you didn't, tell your enemies. If you want to give us some feedback, podcast at plaintalkpodcast.com. You can find us on Instagram at Plain Talk PC, also the same as YouTube. And uh, yeah, uh, let's see what else. What else do we have? Facebook. Give us a like on Facebook. Subscribe on YouTube and follow us on Instagram. We need the help. And I've got two more comments. One is we did mail out the uh, the contest winners, uh, the remove before flight keychains. So those are those are out in the mail and uh, we'll be doing more contests on our Instagram soon. So please, please, please follow us on Instagram, Plain Talk PC. And second of all, uh, final comment tonight. I know we mentioned Asheville a couple times. Rob and I never made it three years ago, but I was able to go down last year and we went to an amazing restaurant. It's actually the best restaurant in the entire world. It's called Karate. And you definitely have to check it out. If you're in Asheville, go to that restaurant. I promise you it's going to be some of the best food you've ever had. All right. Well, I'm Rob. I'm Matt. And this is Zoe. Next See you. Week. All right, bye.